0: This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. In this episode, the whitewashing of Zimbabwe's ancient history. In the early 1970s, when I was 12 years old, my British immigrant father married a South African. Part of his integration was visiting her siblings, one of whom lived with his family in what was then called Fort Victoria, part of recently independent Rhodesia. Beyond seeing television for the first time and marveling at how people there drove Peugeots because of their reliability, the thing I remember most was was a visit to the place that the Whites called the Zimbabwe Ruins. Its symbol, the powerful Zimbabwe bird, made a deep and lasting impression. A replica dominates the mantelpiece in my office here in London, a permanent reminder of the continent which will forever own my heart. I remember my newly minted uncle explaining how great Zimbabwe's impressive structures had been built by some ancient civilization that had mysteriously departed It was a story that suited the propaganda of the time, but was so absolutely and completely wrong. We discover that in this superb podcast by Rebecca Kesby of the BBC World Service. The programme is part of the BBC's Excellent Witness podcast, one of my favourite subscriptions.
1: Hello and welcome to Witness, the history programme from the BBC World Service with me, Rebecca Kesby. And today we head to Zimbabwe in the early 1980s, after independence from the white minority rule. The country was redefining itself and looking to its ancient past for inspiration. But history can be a contentious issue. It was a great moment for us
2: and we thought the world was at our feet and it was, it was. I was responsible, so I was right in the centre of, of these exciting moments. In
1: 1982, Dr Kenneth Mafuka was appointed the first black director of museums in Zimbabwe. He'd studied in Scotland and America, but when he returned home, as part of his new role, he was given a specific task to rewrite the history of one of Africa's most important archaeological treasures – the Great Zimbabwe Ruins.
0: These are the corridors of power of
2: an ancient African civilization, once the flourishing capital of a great Shona kingdom. They were going to find a new identity by going into the past. History became important. So they visited Great Zimbabwe for inspiration. Their old culture, old claiming their heritage.
1: Zimbabwe, in the Shona language, loosely translates into great houses of stone. It's the name locals gave the great ruined city that sits just outside the modern-day city of Masvingo. It's the largest known ancient stone structure south of Egypt, once the seat of power of a wealthy kingdom based on gold.
2: For 600 years, these walls have stood here. The walls themselves are an impressive testimony that Africans are capable of a uniqueness which the white man has not always recognized. I was supposed to use my abilities as a writer to write a new manual for the Great Zimbabwe, getting away from the Eurocentric interpretation
1: the colonialists had used their cultural hegemony to reinforce their own version of history.
2: The archaeologists went to Great Zimbabwe. They were told by the British society that the Africans did not build the ruins. The word they used was uh, the mystery of Great Zimbabwe because they were trying to avoid the idea that it was built by Africans there. That's why when I went home, I said, I'm not going to listen to the white men's stories. I'm going to write my own. Zimbabwe was not built by either blacks or whites. The people who built it were Semitic. They were brown in color and were evidently the Sabaean people who were a mixture of Arabs and Jews. The Europeans said, no, the greatness did not belong to the Zimbabweans. It belonged to somebody else, the Phoenicians, the Arabs, the Queen of Sheba, the Jews, the Chinese and the Indians. They thought of everybody anybody else except the africans
1: why didn't they want to acknowledge that it could have been black africans that built it
2: that was very obvious they were going there to civilize africans who were in darkness who had no history that was the reason for being there so if they accepted that some of these africans had these uh, uh, wonderful civilizations the reasoning would fall apart
1: Dr. Mufuka had his own connection to the ruins. He first saw them as a child, and they left a profound impact on him.
2: I was raised about 10 miles away. So there was a bus, a shilling, to the great Zimbabwe, but this was for tourists. Blacks were not allowed there. But if there were no white visitors, any blacks would just wander about so I visited it as a child.
1: So how old were you when you first saw them?
2: I think about 12 years.
1: And were you already interested in history?
2: Oh yes, yes. I, I was obsessed with history. We, we just uh, turn up and if there are no white visitors you can wonder about. Until we're tired, until our bus came back, which will be another hour or so. That was most amazing.
1: But here you are at an ancient structure. You're from a local family. For all you know, your ancestors could have helped to build it. How did it feel to not be allowed to be there and to look around properly?
2: Yes, we, we felt in some ways uh, deprived of what belonged to us. That we belonged to a great people, but we were oppressed by the colonial regime.
1: For people who have never seen it, what does it look like?
2: The structures are massive, particularly the great wife's house. Inside, they had drainage under the the structures. The stones are chiseled to be exactly the same size as they built the structure. And they are not connected by mortar or cement.
1: There's nothing holding them together. Yes. And it's actually built around existing rocks and stones, isn't it? So the skill that they would need to build around that base would take quite a lot of sophistication, wouldn't it?
2: Yes. So the ones around the stones are chiseled and they're small and flatter than the ones which come on top. And it's not straight, so it's wide at the bottom and a smaller at the top. So they probably figured it out that a curved structure would be stronger than a straightforward wall.
1: It's now thought that the city of Great Zimbabwe dates back to a few centuries AD, and timber found there is from the 1100s. At that time, it would have been a similar size to medieval London, trading and exporting gold across southern and east Africa. Great Zimbabwe had one more asset that set it apart, rain. While other areas struggled through catastrophic droughts, Great Zimbabwe was fertile and relatively damp.
2: This was a wet area. It's always clouded by a wet cloud throughout the year. So that made it even more mysterious. Not only that, my mother belongs to one of the smallest tribes called the Hunga, which is the keeper of the rain bed. These uh, Hunga people are in charge of the shrine for rain. And that shrine was based at Great Zimbabwe. So we knew some of these things, they they were in legend.
1: So this is where the rain birds would have been. These are the large carved stone birds that were taken by European explorers in the 1800s. And they, they took them back to South Africa.
2: There were five of them. They were carved out of stone and put on stilts. But they represented real birds called the rain bed, and when people are praying for rain, when the cloud comes over, they know that their prayers have been answered.
1: Over the years, several explorers, most of them European, looted other priceless artefacts from the ruins. The rumour that it was the site of King Solomon's mines even led some to dig under it, destroying ancient walls. All the while, the archaeologists argued over who could have built them. In the 1920s, the British Academy asked the renowned Egyptologist Gertrude Caton Thompson to examine the ruins in the hope that she could prove once and for all that an Arab or other civilization was responsible – But she and her all-female team of archaeologists came to a decisive conclusion that enraged the colonial authorities.
2: She used the word incontrovertible, that there is no argument whatsoever, there is no possible evidence that anybody other than the Africans who live here built the Great Zimbabwe, and that there is no evidence in artefacts or in the architectural style which reflects any foreign influence and oh everybody and his uncle were up in arms they said of course this is a team of girls what do they know she went home quite disgraced but the book is still there
1: Six decades later, and the newly elected leftist government of Robert Mugabe was determined to rewrite the history books. The country itself was named after the ruins, and a new flag was to feature the historic rainbird. The problem was, the real things were still in South Africa, and no-one knew what they looked like.
2: The speaker of the house, he was responsible. But none of these people had seen the real Zimbabwe birds because the Zimbabwe boys were in Cape Town. So you'd bring a drawing, different images, and say, which one do you think is a real bird? And I'll say, this one I think is the nearest. But they picked one bird for everything that represents Zimbabwe, on the flag, on the money. But the one they have is the nearest, but it's not the real one, because it doesn't have the beak; it's cut off. It's not anything like the one in the archives. It was one of my happiest times, but it was also full of challenges because the politicians insisted that I must say that the Great Zimab was built by revolutionaries, African revol- Marxist revolutionary cadres, and I refused. I said, "No, there's nothing revolutionary. They were just ordinary." Shona people building, as they were told, by the king. So they were angry with me. And I had to leave Zimbabwe in a hurry. So I had to take my bed quickly, because now they were looking to lock me up. Everybody in power wants to control history, because it creates power. It brings them legitimacy. And the historian is caught in between.
1: Dr Ken Mafuka. He now lives in South Carolina and teaches at Lander University. He was speaking to me, Rebecca Kesby, for Witness.
0: That was Rebecca Kesby of the BBC World Service. This podcast, which is republished with the permission of the BBC, is part of Witness, history as told by the people who were there. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.